Each Sunday during Lent, um, immediately after the sermon, we're going to sing number 144 in the blue hymnal. And I would suggest perhaps that you go ahead and find that spot right now and leave that open on the pew next to you or on your lap um, so that we can make that transition after the sermon. Everybody got it? Okay, now put your, your books down. Our gospel reading for today is a cautionary tale. It reminds us of the need to speak the truth even when it seems to run counter to what either we or the circumstances require. It reminds us that the scripture can be used in ways which harm as well as heal. And perhaps most of all, it warns us against creating Jesus in our own image, no matter how sound or justifiable or good that image may be. For all of these reasons, I think it's a fitting text for this first Sunday of Lent, the season during which Christians spend time reflecting on the life and ministry of Jesus and its connection to what comes after. The story we've come to know is the temptation of Jesus is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mark's version is typically spare, with the whole episode being told in two verses. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now Matthew and Luke both add some flesh to Mark's bare bones and tell essentially the same story, though not in the same order. How this story came to be preserved long enough to be written down is anyone's guess. We might speculate that Jesus himself told some version of the story to his disciples somewhere along the way, and I suppose can only regret not knowing when and why he did so. But however it got here, it is here. It's a gift from the Spirit to the church. In all three gospel accounts, the temptation is preceded by Jesus' baptism, and an announcement from God which declares him to be God's beloved child. All three gospel writers make it clear that Jesus was motivated to enter the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. Mark says he was driven. Matthew and Luke say he was led there. Luke says that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit when he entered the wilderness, and says again that he was filled with the power of the Spirit upon leaving the wilderness and returning to his ministry. All this makes very clear that whatever happened in the wilderness was something that was arranged by God, and it makes clear that whatever Jesus required to make it through his wilderness sojourn was provided to him by God. And these are not small things, because they tell us something about Jesus that I think we sometimes forget, which is that for all his deity, a deity the church has proclaimed throughout its history, the human Jesus is as much in need of God's protection and is as much in need of God's direction as every other human being who's ever lived. So this is not a superhero heading off into the wilderness to take some swings at the devil. This is a Jesus who is entirely open to and dependent upon the leading and protection of God. Jesus does not rely upon his own power to overcome temptation. As Luke makes clear, even Jesus must find strength in the spirit and in the scripture to make it through. Commentator Sharon Ring points out that it might be better to refer to this encounter between the devil and Jesus as a testing rather than a temptation. When we think of a temptation, she says, we think of being drawn to doing things that we know are bad for us, 
or are in some other way wrong. For example, we're tempted by that big, delicious piece of chocolate cake, or we're tempted to fudge a bit on our income tax return. But who would begrudge a famished person a bit of bread? Or who would say that it would be wrong to do whatever it is in our power to feed the hungry? Who is not at one time or another why God does not simply act to end poverty or feed the hungry or in some other way intervene and make things right? Would it be wrong for Jesus to do that, to turn a stone into a bit of bread or to act in some miraculous way to end his own suffering and the suffering of others? And who would deny that evil does seem to hold sway in our world? Doesn't it too often seem as though God really has given over the world to the devil? Who would not welcome a regime change? We spent enough time talking um, about life under the Roman Empire to know that with the exception of those who profited from that rule, most Jews of Jesus' day would have been glad for a change. Wouldn't we all welcome God's miraculous intervention into our own world politics, bringing about a reign of peace and justice and freedom for everyone? I mean, there's change I could believe in. Would it be wrong for Jesus to simply step up and grab the reins and send Rome packing and begin a millennial reign on earth as it is in heaven? And who would argue that the promises of Scripture are false and that God would fail to protect Jesus from harm? Who would argue that the angels would simply stand by and watch Jesus fall to his death? Isn't that kind of confident trust in God's promises what we all strive for? Wouldn't we all hope to claim such trust for ourselves, not for any personal effort at becoming a saint, but because that's what a life of faith ought to lead to. Would it be wrong for Jesus to stake his life on his profound confidence in God's faithfulness? None of what the devil is offering Jesus is wrong or bad. It is instead, one could argue, all good. Bread for the hungry, God's own child at the head of the world's governments, complete trust in God's faithfulness. They all seem like good things to me. But Jesus refuses to do any of them. He refuses every single one. Then again, what will we expect Jesus to do when dealing with the devil? It's pretty safe to assume that if the devil recommends it, it's probably not such a good idea for somebody. The devil's in the details, right, in the fine print. And so we can count on there being angles within angles in what he is recommending. There are no straight lines in hell. Everything is crooked and fixed and rigged, and Jesus knows it. So what else would we expect but that he would refuse every offer the devil made? But I think it's more complicated and more interesting than that, because as Luke will reveal in later chapters, Jesus will do all of these things, but not in the way that the devil describes. As Sharon Ring writes, and I quote, though he refused to turn stones into bread, he does feed the hungry. Though he refused political power, the proclamation of God's empire of justice and peace is the focus of his teaching and preaching. Though he refused to jump off the temple to see if God would send angels to catch him, he goes to the cross in confidence that God's will for life will trump the world's decision to execute him. End quote. I think it's the apparent virtue in each of the devil's suggestions which makes this encounter such a test for Jesus. The devil was not tempting Jesus to do something sinful or evil or self-promoting. He was instead poking at the very heart of Jesus and his mission. Ultimately, what was at stake in this scene from Luke's gospel was the question of Jesus' identity. Whom would Jesus serve? Who would define his mission? Whose will would Jesus trust to carry that mission out? 
Again, Luke offers us insight. The story, as we already noted, is bookended by the statement that Jesus was filled with the Spirit and filled with the power of the Spirit. The Spirit led him into the wilderness. And to every test put to him by the devil, Jesus spoke words of Scripture, which served not only to refute the devil's own quotations, but also to give Jesus someplace firm to stand in resisting the test. The question being decided here was, whose mission was it that Jesus was fulfilling? From whom would Jesus take direction? To whom would Jesus look for guidance? In whom would Jesus place his life, his mission, his trust? In resisting the devil's arguments, Jesus passed the test, confirming that he was indeed serving the Lord alone and was being guided by the Spirit and was placing his life and mission and trust in God and God alone. And because he made that choice so firmly here at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus was able to keep that commitment throughout his ministry. And that despite continued testing of that commitment along the way, like the time Peter tried to correct Jesus when Jesus began talking about his impending suffering and death. And Jesus had to rebuke Peter in the strongest possible terms, get behind me, Satan. The mission of Jesus was to carry out God's will, no matter what. And he would not be dissuaded, whether by the testing of the devil or the well-meaning efforts of a friend. Now, it's natural for us to look to Jesus for our example in this story from Luke 4. It's right and good for us to take from the story some important and valuable lessons for our own faith journeys. Like Jesus, we want to be filled with the power of the Spirit. And we want to claim that power as a guiding force in our lives, leading us along the path that God has set before us. And like Jesus, we want to place our confidence in God and in God alone. Like Jesus, we want to stand firmly on the words of Scripture when faced with questions and challenges and tests. Like Jesus, we want to walk away from every test, every trial, every temptation, knowing that we have fought the good fight and kept the faith. Looking to Jesus as our example, we learn much that will serve us well in our own times in the wilderness. I also think we can learn some things by looking at the devil's actions in this story. Because as Luke makes clear later on, the testing being done by the devil has much in common with Peter's later testing of Jesus and his commitment to go all the way to the cross. And Jesus, if anything, treats Peter more harshly than he does the devil, which suggests to me that we have something to learn from the devil's questions, the testing, this encounter with Jesus in the wilderness that Perhaps we should look for a bit of ourselves in his testing, something which needs to be brought out into the open and confessed and attended to as we begin our Lenten journey. What strikes me about the devil's testing is that it seems to me to be really about redefining Jesus' mission on the devil's terms. Feeding the poor and establishing justice and trusting in God are all part of the mission of anyone who considers herself to be a faithful child of God. The scriptures could not be more plain on that. They're the basic requirements of discipleship, encompassing love of God and love of neighbor, and so all the law and the prophets. And Jesus will indeed accomplish all those things in his life and ministry, but not in the manner called for by the devil. No magic tricks transforming stones into bread. No bowing to the devil in order to take political power. No throwing himself off the tower to test God's love for him. But feeding the hungry and preaching the kingdom of God, and trusting God all the way to the cross. How often do we impose our own visions for how the world ought to be run, or how best to bring about justice, 
or what truly constitutes faithfulness? How often do we impose our own images of those things onto Jesus? How often do we, in effect, remake Jesus in our own image? Not with any sinister or evil intent, no. Only with the best intentions. We decide how Jesus ought to act, or what Jesus would do, or how Jesus would do it. We see what needs to be done, and we can even quote scripture to make the point. And we then call on Jesus to make it happen. And we grow impatient when he does not bow to our wishes, our hopes, our dreams, no matter how noble and biblical. Are Peter and I the only ones who've done this? Are we the only ones who had a better idea, a better plan, a necessary corrective for the radical face set like a flint Jesus? Are we the only ones who saw Golgotha looming in the distance and tried to talk Jesus into another approach altogether? Are we the only ones who tried to co-opt Jesus into serving our purposes? Are we the only ones who've grown impatient with all the hunger, all the injustice, all the faithlessness, and so called on Jesus to do our bidding and make things right no matter what? Well, maybe we are. But I suspect that Peter and I are not alone in our failure to trust God as Jesus did, that we're not alone in trying to bend Christ's will to our own, to remake him and his mission in our own image, perhaps not in so grand or certainly not as evil a fashion as the devil's testing him in the wilderness, but in more mundane, more immediate, more circumstantial ways. I suspect we're not alone in our attempts to get Jesus to do the right thing at our command. If that's true, then here at the beginning of the Lenten season is the time to reckon with that failure to set it aside, to turn our backs on it, and follow after Jesus. Because our attempts to remake Jesus in our own image, our attempts to co-opt him, our attempts to bend his will and mission to our own, is at its root, I think, a failure of trust. A failure to trust God in the way that Jesus trusted God. The kind of trust that we see revealed in this story of his testing in the wilderness. Again, Luke signals it. If we pay attention, this entire account is wrapped in God's spirit, just as Jesus was enveloped in that spirit as he entered the wilderness and then when he came out again on the other side. And throughout its telling, there's a persistent drumbeat from the scripture, reminding the devil and all of us that God's claim upon Jesus is ultimate, and so Jesus' trust must be complete. God's claim upon us is ultimate, and so our trust in God, too, must be complete. We must trust that God's intentions toward this world are indeed redemptive and loving. We must trust that the hungry will indeed be fed. We must trust that peace and justice will reign. We must trust that God is faithful in keeping promises, that no matter what the evidence, whether our own rumbling bellies or the latest scandal in Washington, God's will shall be done on earth as it is in heaven. To trust in that and without wavering, and so to rest and put away our need to manage God and manage God's movement in the world. And at the same time, trusting that the Spirit will lead us where we need to go and will empower us to do what the Spirit wills and will lead us all the way through Jerusalem and beyond to confess that all the things we say about God and all the things we say about Jesus are true and can be counted on. The story is a cautionary tale. It reveals our own temptation, the temptation to manage, to control, to reconfigure, to co-opt Jesus, and so remake him in our own image. We learn much 
from Jesus in this story, and for that we're grateful. He is our example and our guide. But I think we need to give the devil his due, as it were, and see ourselves in his testing of Jesus, not by any means aligning ourselves with the devil, but simply noting the resemblance between the devil's agenda and our own, and then repenting, turning around, saying, get behind me, and following after Jesus, following him wherever the Spirit leads, whether we want to go there or think it's wise to go there or think we know a shorter way or think we have a more efficient plan or think we know better or think we can avoid so many problems if only and all those other stutterings and mutterings we do as we work out our faith in fear and trembling, learning all the way we pray to become less and less like the devil, more and more like Jesus, who placed his life and his mission and his trust entirely in God's hands. Let us finally, finally, look to Jesus as our example. Let us learn from him how to place our trust fully in God. Let us count on that same spirit which led and empowered Jesus to lead and empower us as well. Let's enter our Lenten journey with confidence, not in ourselves or in our ability to shape what is to come or to make it come out the way we want it to, but confidence instead in the God in whom Jesus trusted, the God who led him along a perilous journey, the God who will finally lift him up, the God whose purpose it is in Jesus to save the world. Jesus trusted that purpose. Let us trust the Spirit to give us the strength to do the same. May God make it so. Amen.